most of us who are highly sensitive and empathic that we are like that we're buying into the idea that we're being a drama queen that we're buying into the idea that we've taken it too personally and i think before we can even start to discern what's ours what's not ours whether or not we're experiencing empathic overwhelm or whether we are just really having a spin out and having kind of a meltdown on a difficult day we really need to acknowledge our empathic sensitivity and the fact that it is affecting us. Hello, friends, and welcome to Curiously Wise. I am your host, Lauren Whitting, and today I have Jennifer Moore with me, and she has so much experience. We're going to have a great conversation and I'm just going to read you a little bit of her bio so you know a little bit about her before we start. So Jennifer Moore is author of Amazon bestseller Empathic Mastery, one of EFT International 122 Master Trainers. And EFT, if you've heard of tapping, that's what that's about. And a mentor and healer for other highly sensitive empathic women. Intuitive from the get-go, Jennifer experienced her first prophetic dream when she was age nine. And she's been navigating her extrasensory awareness ever since, supporting intuitives, lightworkers, and creatives to use their abilities for good is Jen's greatest passion. I love that. I love that. Thank you for being here, Jen. Oh, Lauren, thank you so much for having me here. It is just such a delight. Yeah. We're going to yeah. have fun. We are. I we know. We are. Yeah. We're already having fun. Exactly. <laughs> So let's just dive in. You are a specialist on empathics. And I didn't know I was an empathic until very late in my life, unfortunately. So let's start just by, for people who don't maybe know what an empath is, if you could just tell us your definition or how you define that. Absolutely. So first up, I want to say that there isn't necessarily like a DSM definition of what it means to be an empath. It's not a pathology. It's a word. Mm -hmm. And different people have really different meanings. So I'll share my perspective and my meaning, which is that an empath is a person who picks up the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, sometimes the will and desire and intentions of the world around them. And the challenge of being an empath is where a psychic or an intuitive may be able to pick up on this stuff, but can distinguish what's theirs and what's not theirs. What distinguishes an empath from other sort of open people who have extrasensory or paranormal abilities is that empaths experience all of these things through their own emotional, mental, and physical filters. And so even though we pick all the thoughts, the feelings, the energy and sensations up from the world around us, we experience it as if it's our own. And this makes for challenging, especially in a world that seems to be kind of on fire right now. And so it's very, very easy to really feel like you're drowning in the emotional soup right you know as a highly sensitive empathic person right now yeah. yeah yeah i grew up in a pretty volatile family and it was it was a hard place to be and everybody would say why are you crying all the time and it was right. just i was overwhelmed overwhelmed yeah. well and probably the other thing i have found is that very frequently the empath is the 
sort of designated feeler in a family mm-hmm. system and where you might have a family where there's a lot of like compartmentalizing of emotion, a lot of suppressing of feelings and a lot of just kind of like move along, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, nothing <laughs> to see here, folks. The empath does not have that luxury. And a lot of times the empath is not just experiencing the emotions of their own, but is picking up on all of the unspoken messages, all of the emotional things that are happening that other people are attempting to suppress or deny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know I was doing that at the time. But looking back, I can see where I was always scanning the horizon for who's about to go off, who's, uh, who's really mad and it hasn't popped yet, you know? Yes, yes, <laughs> Maybe yes. I should leave now. <laughs> Well, and there's definitely a real correlation between growing up in a volatile environment, whether it's within family or within school systems or other things, and cultivating this hypervigilant awareness of whether something's going to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Now, there are people who suggest that empaths are a product of trauma. I actually don't agree with that because if that was the case, everybody on the planet would be an empath. (laughs) Unfortunately, Um, yes. Yeah. (laughs) But there is this sort of, I do believe that trauma or difficult experiences and adverse childhood experiences amplifies our empathic sensitivity Mm -hmm. and may activate it within some of us. But I do believe that just like some people are just naturally gifted as basketball players, some of us are just naturally more sensitive than other people. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I agree with that. And that does jive with my, my family of origin. So how does one know, because I spent a lot of my life thinking I was just, you know, oversensitive and maybe a little crazy and, and needy and all of that. How do you know if you're an empath versus just a drama queen? What, a, what an amazing question. I mean, and I just want to say that they don't have to be mutually exclusive yeah. either. That I, As I was saying it, I was like... <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's both. So, I mean, there are a couple things that I have found to be the case. And one of the things you just already said it is like you grew up feeling like you were being overly sensitive. If there's anything that seems to be consistent is like empaths very frequently have been told since they were very, very small, you're overreacting taking it too personally. Oh, you've got an overactive imagination. You're worrying too much about it. Just let it go. Stop worrying about it. Why are you concerned about that? That's not even your problem. That's going on with somebody else. And sometimes in family systems that are around partners or loved ones who are a little bit less validating, sometimes they might say things like, you're crazy. You're making shit up. Like, stop overreacting. Mm -hmm. I would say that in my experience... So far, actually, I have yet to meet a single person for whom those things were not basically a denial on the part of the people who did not want us to acknowledge what was really going on. Mm. And that I have yet to meet an empath who was overreacting. So in some ways, I guess I would say, what if we start by stop gaslighting ourselves? You know, that we've been gaslit for such an incredibly long time, most of us who are highly sensitive and empathic, that we are like that we're buying into the idea that we're being a drama queen, that we're buying into the idea that we've taken it too personally. 
And I think before we can even start to discern what's ours, what's not ours, whether or not we're experiencing empathic overwhelm or whether we are just really having a spin out and having kind of a meltdown on a difficult day, we really need to acknowledge our empathic sensitivity and the fact that it is affecting us. And so for me, the first step, because I, my book, Empathic Mastery, is all about how to navigate being highly sensitive and empathic. And one of the things that I found was that a lot of the advice out there is all about putting up the bubble of light and sort of protecting yourself. But what I found is that we have to recognize that we are empaths and we have to recognize when we are in a state of distress and we need to. And like, that's the very first step is even being able to recognize. So I guess what I would first start by saying is that while, yes, it is very possible that we are having an amplified response to something, because a lot of times if something's been suppressed for a really long time or we're around sort of an intensity and an undercurrent that's not being acknowledged, we're kind of feeling the stuff that other people are kind of avoiding. Mm. And it can get amplified, but but I think that most of the time, and certainly in my travels and my experience, this has been consistently the case, is that we are picking up on something. So I, what I would say is the first, like I would be more inclined to say, let's just imagine for right now that if you're having a strong feeling about something, there is a good reason why you're having a strong feeling about something. And it's very, very easy. You know, they, what is, I think it's Stockholm syndrome, that idea of at a certain point, we start becoming our own prison guards. Yeah. We start basically becoming our own enforcer. And that's something I see with so many highly sensitive empathic people is that after a certain point, they start enforcing the restrictions and the restraints. And basically, they don't even have to have an external voice saying you're overreacting. We start saying it to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that ugly little voice inside that goes, why are you feeling this way? This is, there's this, blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing going on. And that's actually, you know, that's one of, for me, that's one of the telltale giveaways that I'm having, experiencing what I call empathic overwhelm mm -hmm. is that if I look at the surface of my life, and I'm willing to be honest with myself. Like if I'm in complete denial about the fact that I've got a situation that is falling apart and I just don't want it to, then that's kind of my drama. But if I'm looking at my life and I'm like ticking all the boxes and going, I've got a roof over my head. I am, you know, there's money in the bank. I've got I've got food in the refrigerator. My partnership is fine. All of the animals in my household are fine. My family members are fine. You know, just going down the list of all of the things and I am ticking the boxes and going fine, 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 fine. But I'm experiencing a level of either like sort of low grade distress or sometimes real, you know, high level panic. And there's nothing going on in my life that correlates to it. I have found that generally that means that I am picking up on something that is not mine. So is there a way that you can share with us about how to begin to discern what's mine and what's not mine? 
Yeah. So the very first thing that I like to do, so the way I look at the step of recognize, which is the first step in empathic mastery, is that the first part of recognize is recognizing that we are highly sensitive empathic people and that we are not like the average bear, that we do pick up on more than other people do, that we are sensitive. And, you know, I was having a, a conversation with my husband the other day and we're coming up on our 21st wedding anniversary mm. in September. And yet I just had this conversation the other day where I was kind of like, do you have emotionally volatile days where you just feel really out of sorts and weird for no reason whatsoever? And he's like, no. <laughs> and, and I realized that, you know, my, and I, and I was actually speaking earlier today as leaving a boxer message from one of my clients. And I was saying, some of us have basically experienced like, we experience emotions in a tidal way. And some people have more sort of emotions, like they're like lakeside emotions mm -hmm. where yes, there's some depth and there are times where the water can get stirred up. But for the most part, it's pretty consistent, even keel. Whereas there are some of us where it's like the tide comes in and it goes out and we're just constantly feeling emotional intensity. And the reason that I bring this up is because I've really like, I just keep on getting at a deeper and deeper level. Oh, not everybody is like this. Mm. Because if you are somebody who is emotionally tidal for, you know, and just thinking about the tides coming and going, then it, it's sort of, it's really easy to imagine everybody has to contend with this. And lately I've really been getting especially watching the coping skills of some people with the pandemic and the lack of coping skills with others with the pandemic, that there are a number of people who just do not experiencing the same level of emotional volatility mm -hmm. that some of us do. And so recognizing ourselves as highly sensitive, recognizing ourselves as being an empath, recognizing that we are picking up on subtle things that other people are not picking up on, that's like the first part of recognize, because then that means we're going to validate when we start to experience the emotional intensity or the feeling out of sorts and feeling wonky. And it will sort of, instead of it sort of triggering alarm bells that go, you're crazy, you're overreacting, or there must be something wrong with me. Why am I so broken? Instead of all those sort of reactions that we were sort of trained to do, we can then start saying, oh, I'm feeling something. I wonder what's going on. So sort of within this first step of recognize, it's like there's sort of three layers to it. And the first part is just acknowledging that we're empathic. The second step is acknowledging when we are feeling out of sorts, when we are experiencing mm. something and it feels like we're not on our baseline. And then the third step is being able to start recognizing what's mine, what's not mine. So what I really love to do when I get to the point where I am starting to feel that overwhelm, that wonky kind of out of sorts feeling is I will put my hands, both hands over my, on my chest, over my heart, kind of right on the sternum, and I'll just breathe in. And I ask myself the question, is this mine? Like just a really simple question, but really powerful. Is this mine? And probably like nine and a half times out of 10, the answer comes back, yes, and. Because a lot of times what's happening is 
there is an aspect of ourself that is reacting to whatever energy is going on. And then there's also the external energy and input and stuff that is coming at us and to us. So I have found that to be an incredibly helpful question, just starting with, is this mine? And then when we get the answer, yes, and, or it's both yours and somebody else's or something else's, then I ask the second piece of the question, which is, what's mine and what's not mine? And the answer, when I get the answer of what is mine, then my job is to neutralize and calm down those triggers within me that are reacting to things and to then let go of and release the stuff that is no longer serving me. And so a lot of times, again, I will put my hand over my heart and I will say, I send back this energy that does not serve me. I send it back to where it belongs. Not saying I'm sending it, returning it to sender necessarily. Mm -hmm. I like to affirm that I'm sending it back to where it belongs. So the thing about these steps is that it does require our willingness to know ourselves. And it also requires our willingness to be present with our own emotions and our own feelings. And that is one thing that I have found to be sort of the secret ingredient for empathic mastery and for really learning how to navigate empathic overwhelm is we must become willing to sit with our own feelings. Mm -hmm. Because what I have found is that as highly sensitive empathic people, we pick up the distress of the world around us. And a lot of times when we're not comfortable with our own discomfort, then what we will very frequently do is we will immediately, without even asking or getting consent, we will rush into rescue. We will go in and sort of like, we'll volunteer ourselves to fix the problem for a very good reason, which is that we feel better when other people feel better. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody is in a state of distress and we're picking it up and we don't know how to sit with that kind of distress because we grew up in a family where it was not okay to be upset and maybe we had a drama queen parent who, you know, stopped the world and having an emotion, <laughs> then, then the thing is that we don't necessarily have, like we were probably conditioned or many of us were conditioned from a very, very early age to be the rescuer and to be the person who manages and navigates other people's emotional volatility. And so having that capacity to allow it to be okay that we're feeling distress and allow it to be okay that somebody else is feeling distress means that we are not going to be immediately feeling this sense of urgency. This situation is wrong and broken and I need to go fix it immediately. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think I trained myself with meditation to quiet myself down enough to go, oh, wait a minute, this is not all mine, or maybe this is not mine at all. But it, I, I learned during a really hard part of my life in the last few years that when I get like this, you know, when I'm just overwhelmed, I need to go meditate. 
because that quiets things down enough so I can hear the truth of what's going on. Exactly. It's much easier to get perspective on it. Exactly. Um, and, and Well, and the thing is, we really need to calm our nervous systems down in order to get discernment. When mm-hmm. we are in a state of fight or flight, when we're activated and agitated, basically the frontal cortex goes offline and we do <laughs> not have the ability to make rational choices yeah. and decisions. And I could go off on an entire tangent about why the models of dealing with difficult past events and trauma and the healing modalities we've been using for the last like psychotherapy hundred of years of talking our way out of these Mm. things is just the most ineffective way to deal with it. It's like taking a funnel, turning it upside down, and then trying to cram a cement brick through the smallest hole at the top. Because, you know, our stress inhibits our ability to see clearly, to feel clearly, to Mm -hmm. think clearly. And so we need tools that will allow us to regulate our nervous system, that will allow our fight or flight mechanism, the amygdala, which is that part of our brain that controls our adrenals and controls Mm -hmm. our response to danger. But we have to find a way to sort of get all of that to stand down in order to be able to understand what's going on, what's ours and what's not ours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I first started doing this work, it was like it could take me a couple days to back out of a skid. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, I can... There are times where when it feels like there's another sort of global surge on the verge of happening, where I might feel really sort of wonky and out of sorts for a couple of days. And because it feels like just the intensity around the world has really increased. Yeah. And I actually think we all really need to sort of up level and recalibrate ourselves mm-hmm. that there is a, a way in which. We, we really, like even seasoned empaths, even seasoned meditators, even people who've been doing this work for a really long time, there is still a way in which the intensity, like, like the temperature's dialed up, yeah. we have to adjust accordingly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, I get hit by waves every now and then. Yes, You know, I I'll be, too. I'll be sitting here, you know, minding my own business and this emotion will crash over me. Yeah. And it's usually distress. It's usually yes. um, difficult yes. emotion, not not joy. I'd like to be hit by joy. But sometimes Wouldn't that be you get lovely. That <laughs> well, and for some reason, and I think that this is in many ways, this is kind of conditioning of us as a species. I mean, it's like for every emotional, like we don't on this planet at this very moment, there are as many people you know, falling in love and having sex with their beloved for the very first time people who are looking in the eyes of their baby for the very first time, people who are, you know, getting married and promising their life with hope and possibility, people who are tasting the most exquisite meal they've ever had. Like there are people who are looking at the most beautiful sunset, people who are in the ocean and floating on the on the most perfect temperature water, Mm -hmm. people who are like holding a puppy and falling in love. Like there are so many of these things that are going on simultaneously to people leaving their home in a war-torn country, Mm -hmm. to people grieving the death of a loved one. There are, you know, two people getting a cancer diagnosis. 
but there are just as many joyful things happening at Mm -hmm. any given moment as there are miserable things happening. And yet I think as a society and as a species, we have been cognitively conditioned for a very long time now to look at the problem, not at the solution, Mm -hmm. to the point that we pick up distress instead of picking up joy. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I never thought about it that way. But boy, as you were describing all those joyful things, my heart was just like... I could see you. You were just (laughs) receiving it. One of the things about joy that I've been realizing is that as, you know, as an empath and especially growing up in kind of America at a time, like just sort of like growing up in volatility, I, I have... I think many of us, but I can speak for myself, there was a part of me that was really, really focused on being hypervigilant to look for signs of danger. But we can deliberately start turning on the channel to pick up on signs of joy mm-hmm. and to experience this. And this is where so many people are into a gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that the reason why gratitude is such a powerful tool is because when we use gratitude, we start pivoting away from looking at what's wrong and instead pivoting towards or turning towards what's right. Mm -hmm. And so a gratitude practice is a really good place to start with focusing on or accessing that joy. But then we can sort of take it to another level where we start being like, what if I just stand for the joy instead of scanning for the misery? Oh, yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah, it's really simple, but it's simple, but we're not wired for that. We're not wired that way. (laughs) Or actually, I think we are wired that way. We are not conditioned that way that we have, you know, that we have programming or operating systems that are sort of arbitrarily installed Mm -hmm. that cause us to do these things. But I do actually believe that that we are wired for joy. We are wired for pleasure. We are wired to be seeing the beauty in things. And it's almost like we've been drinking the Kool-Aid and buying this bill of goods for thousands of years now about looking for what's the wrong things instead of the right things. That's why one of my go-to practices when I'm feeling overwhelmed is to go to the woods. I live in a beautiful part of Virginia. We have ancient trees here. We have a lot of parks that are just gorgeous wooded parks. And in the pandemic, I spent a lot of time in them because they're nothing but joy. Mm-hmm. They are nothing but joy. If you, if you go stand next to a tree, you're going to feel joy. And it was such a lovely practice during that time to get out of the house you know, a little bit <laughs> and, and just be in the woods with the trees and the birds and the, you know, and just soak in. Because nature's like, yeah, we're fine. (laughs) We are fine. We are fine. And looking, I find I spend, I also spend a lot of time outside in nature, walking on the ground, looking at the, you know, talking to the insects and the flowers and Mm -hmm. the plants. But I also spend a lot of time looking up at the sky and looking at the clouds and just really being in nature. And I've had the same experience where, you know, well, yes, there is the awareness of climate crisis. And yes, there are all of these things that are going on. When I reconnect to nature, I am reminded of 
I am reminded of a time that exists far outside of human human experience where I get a perspective about sort of the process that we're in as opposed to this sort of human sense of urgency that we're all caught up in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. All right. I think we'll pivot to my rapid fire questions. Okay. That sounds Um, wonderful. Yeah. And these are just for fun. I ask everybody the same questions. I don't know what I'm going to do with the answers, but I get a kick out of hearing them all the time. So I always learn something. So who is or was the wisest person in your life? Oh, my goodness. My advisor, I mean, I've met many, many amazingly wise people over my lifetime, but I immediately think of my my advisor, Jerry Hansvicker, when I was in graduate school. I went to the oldest Protestant seminary in the country, and Jerry was a UCC minister who specializes in conflict management, and he had the most gentle, sweet, and curious demeanor. And he was wise in a very unobtrusive way. And he really, but he really inspired me to approach life and particularly leadership and things like conflict management from a place of curiosity, as opposed to from a place of stress. And yeah, he, he was, I say was because he passed on a number of years ago now, but he was a very, just a very special person. Mm, Nice. What a gift. Yeah, I was really <laughs> lucky. Yeah. He wasn't my advisor. And I had this vivid dream and I was taking a class with him and I had this vivid dream that I uh, that he had huge angel wings and I was a little girl and I went and I sat on his lap and I knew he was supposed to be my advisor. And so I left the advisor that was sort of more on paper, looked more aligned with me. And I just said, would you be my advisor? And he said, sure. And I'm just so grateful to, that I did that because he really, he was just a fantastic advisor. He was really mm-hmm. helpful. Nice. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite self-care practice? I have so many, but I think I would say sleep. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I haven't had anybody say sleep yet. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's like, it's I just, you know, sleep just makes everything better. Mm-hmm. If I can get a good night's sleep and I can just sort of hit the restart button and, and just let it all, like, let everything drop. Yeah. Life is like, I'm right as rain the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sleep is magical when you get yeah. enough of it. <laughs> exactly. What lights you up when you're feeling down? My pug, Lilu. <laughs> My pug, Lilu, who is right next to me, she is my constant companion, and she is a soulmate. She is absolutely one of the loves of my life. I had sensed her probably, like, I knew she was going to come into my life like a good 10, 15 years before she showed up this January. And just if I'm feeling out of sorts, she is just the antidote. She's Mm -hmm. just the best. She's just the best. Yeah. Yeah. The most loving dog we have ever had. Oh, that's great. That's great. And do you have a favorite mantra or affirmation? Yes, I have a couple. So the one that really is, it's sort of a prayer slash affirmation mantra that came through me sort of towards the beginning of the pandemic. And it really is my anchoring mantra. It is really the thing that just restores me and restores my sense of, of safety. And it is, it is from the sacred heart that I was born. 
It is in the sacred heart that I do dwell now, and it is to the sacred heart that I shall return when I slip this mortal coil. And so it just really reminds me of where I fit in this world and also really gives me a sense of the continuity and pulls me out of the idea that I am, you know, this one experience, this one life, this one thing, and sort of brings me into the greater context. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that one. That one feels great. Doesn't it feel good? Yeah, it yeah. feels really good. It's really stabilizing. <laughs> my hand for on my me. heart today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, woo. <laughs> good. All right. Well, can you tell the listeners where they can find you online? Absolutely. So the easiest place to go is my my website that's kind of like where it all starts and it all ends, which is empathicmastery.com. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. you have something free there. I do have something free there. So I have the Empathic Safety Guide, which also includes a the Empathic Safety Guide is like you get an ebook, you also get signed up for an email course where I lead you through like a whole bunch of stuff and sort of unpack things and share a bunch of resources. And I also invite people to join my free Facebook group, the Empathic Mastery Circle, where I offer master classes on the full moon or around the full moon every single month. They're usually like two hour master classes. And these are the real thing. They are not some you know, they're not some kind of watered down little pink spoon where really what I'm trying to do is sell you into a class. These are standalone courses where you can come in and get support because we need all hands on deck right now. We need every, we are, we are awakening as a species to our empathic sensitivity because I believe we ourselves in the body of this earth, we are not individuals. We are part of an organism that is so much greater than ourselves. And in order for us to turn the evolution of our planet around, but especially the turning the evolution of our species around, we must acknowledge our interconnection and learn how to navigate the fact that we can feel each other in a whole new way. So the Empathic Mastery Circle is a place that's all about tools and resources and community and connection and support for highly sensitive empathic people. And, you know, at the end of masterclasses, I will share information about how you can continue to do more work with me. But like I said, they are just like full-fledged courses that offer real solid tools for making a difference in your life. That sounds lovely. Yeah. So is that a community that's active other than the master classes? It's so fairly active. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. we're still growing. We're still building up. I started getting really active in the group, like it had been sort of dormant after the book had come out. Yeah. And so I sort of revived it and started breathing life into it back in November. At this point, we've got almost 400 members nice. and people who are engaging. And there's like a daily posts with like questions and prompts and Good. inviting people to interact. I also also do I have like once a month I have tap along Tuesday mm. and I also have a tarot Tuesday and then during other special times of the year like we just did a really spectacular ceremony meditation for Lionsgate that just oh, yeah. happened on yeah. on August 8th that was just amazing like I was high as a kite afterwards <laughs> and we did this thing where we just sort of decided kind of 
spontaneously as the group to visualize for rain. And I did visualizing for rain here where I am in Maine. And one of my, my assistants, she's a little further north in Maine. And both of us came outside at the end of the ceremony and it was raining. <laughs> and it hadn't, and there was no, it wasn't supposed to rain. But even more amazingly, one of the other members of the group is in San Diego. And it was, and they've had a long drought in San Diego. And right after the ceremony was done, they went outside and it was raining in San Diego. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. That sounds like a great group. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, I might yeah. be a little biased, but it's it's a wonderful place. And there are a lot of, there's a, it's a place for support if you yeah. are recognizing it, yourself as a highly sensitive empathic person. It sounds a bit like a sanctuary. Yes. You yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that would, I can see where that would be really, really useful, especially yeah. for those who aren't navigating it very easily on their exactly. own. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I'll say another thing, it is really a sanctuary in the sense that there are also, you know, where there are some groups that I think are more of a free for all, where there is sort of a lot of like anxiety and people like posting distress on a regular basis. Mm. This is a group that's very curated in the sense that we moderate a lot. And so it's a place where your your authenticity is really welcome, your truth is really welcome, and 100% responsibility is also really welcome. Mm -hmm. So it's a place where, you know, it's sort of like part of what's expected if you are part of this and participating is that to quote, can I say a, a sort of a, a semi-off-color word here? Sure. Or, okay. So <laughs> as Will Wheaton would say, don't be a dick. Okay. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Don't be a dick. And that's basically what a, that's the, the fundamental rule in our group is don't be a dick. And also, you know, like, don't be a victim. Yeah. 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 OK, that sounds really, really useful. So any of you who are listening, who are empaths, and especially if you're in the beginning of understanding that about yourself, this sounds like a place where you really could find a tribe and find a lot of support and information. So, yeah, I would encourage you to go take a look at that. And you have the book, Empathic Mastery. I have Mastery. the book, Empathic Mastery. And if somebody is listening and they want to jump over to the book, you can, I dedicated a URL that makes it really easy, empathicmasterybook.com. Mm -hmm. And yep. if you just go to my website, Empathic Mastery, you can find the book there as yep. well. Yep. It's yep. pretty easy to find. That's how I Easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So all of the links, all of these things will be in the show notes for those of you listening and uh, so you can go back there. You don't have to write them all down. You can go find them at your favorite podcast site. Yeah. So I think we've gotten to the end of our talk. Thank you so much for joining oh, me. Oh, Lauren, this has it has been, been so such fun. a pleasure. We just, this time just whizzed by. It did. We had it such really a conversation. Did. Yeah. And, and yeah, it just, I feel like I could sit down and talk to you for hours. We could, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. I was like, and then this and this uh -huh, and this. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna stop here for today, but yeah, sounds good. I think we're gonna have you back. <laughs> I could, I would love that. That sounds wonderful. I want to thank our listeners for being here with us today. I hope you found some nuggets of wisdom, and I hope you found some things to get curious about. And I hope that you will join us here on Curiously Wise next week on Tuesday. We release a new episode, and we'll have more great conversations and more things to get curious about. So stay curious, and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today on Curiously Wise. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe 
so you don't miss future fabulous conversations. And if you had any ahas, please share them in a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to pay forward the unique wisdom we all have. If you want to know more about me or my intuitive energy healing practice, Heartlight Wellness, please head over to my website, www.heartlightjoy.com. Curiously Wise is a team effort. I am grateful for the skill and enthusiasm Arlene Membrot, our producer, and Sam Wittig, our audio engineer, bring to this collaboration. Our music is Where the Light Is by Lemon Music Studio. I'm Lauren Wittig. Please join me again next week for another episode of Curiously Wise. From my heart to yours, may your life be filled with love, light, joy, and of course, curiosity.